This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Round Ball Stew. I am Matt Straup. It is Friday. June 4th, and today we have three conference semifinal series to preview. We'll be looking ahead to the Nets and Bucks, Sixers and Hawks, and the Nuggets and Suns after both of those teams advance on Thursday night. Also, a look at the only first-round series still going, the Clippers and Mavs, with Game 6 coming up on Friday night. All that and more is ahead in just a second. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. As we welcome in everyone listening on the podcast and watching live with us on YouTube, I'm joined by Ryan Knaus, Raphael Johnson, and Steve Alexander. We're going to get to these conference semifinal previews in a minute, but I think we have to start by just acknowledging that Raph's team... The New York Knicks are out. They are headed to Cancun, as they say. Raph, let's start with your thoughts on how things went down, how they ended for the Knicks. Well, I had a feeling the Hawks were going to win the series before it started, just because they have more talent. I just didn't expect the beating to be as comprehensive as it was. They just didn't have answers for them. I think, obviously, Trey Young is a separate conversation in in himself, um, but... Across the board, Atlanta just had too much talent for them offensively, and they were able to take away, you know, the three-point game that had been so successful for the Knicks. And the Knicks just really didn't have ideas offensively. You know, once Randall and Barrett were kind of neutralized, that was pretty much it. Um, when your Hail Mary has played Derrick Rose 33 minutes a game, <laughs> given his his health history, you're kind of in trouble. So that that's pretty much what happened there, and. The Hawks are clearly the better team, and now you kind of have to wonder if they can do something against Philadelphia, especially if Joel Embiid isn't back. Yeah, and we're going to get into that in a second. By the way, I love the phrasing of uh, the Knicks didn't have ideas on offense. They, they didn't. Seem, seems like a pretty harsh indictment of Tom Tom Thibodeau. But well, I don't want it to sound like that, but yeah. it's kind of like you know if you're watching soccer where a team just kind of seems stuck 
You know, they're trying different things, but they can't really come up with that. I don't know if imagination is the right word to use, but kind of more like an improvisational type deal. Prehistoric is what I would call their offense, but but maybe that's maybe that's too harsh. Someone said that they could almost see above Julius's Rand, Julius Randall's head a thought bubble throughout this this playoff series, and I thought that was a great way to put it. Like you could see the gears turning because the Hawks had a great defensive game plan against him. It, it gummed up the works. They you know kept the Knicks out of the paint, as Raph said. They protected the three point line and. Yeah, maybe it's not too harsh to say that they just ran out of maybe not just ideas, but just the offensive talent wasn't there. As you said, that the Hawks had more punch, more firepower. They executed and made it a quick series. Well, and really, uh, my buddy Zach pointed out to me this morning that Trey Young's new nickname is Broadway Trey. And Broadway Trey, Matt, I'm wearing the shirt. It may not be (laughs) noted. It may not be fresh out of the out of the dryer but it's it's on my body so appreciate that broadway trey was too much for the knicks like he's not scared of the knicks i don't think he's scared of philadelphia like roth said i don't wonder if they can do something against philadelphia i think with or without joel Embiid, they're going to win that series the hawks are just they're they're too deep you've got danilo gallinari coming off your bench and and just so much depth on that team lou williams so many guys and New York was just kind of lost. I, I think my favorite Twitter moment was somebody said something like, uh, Julius Randle looks like a college football player that showed up to play intramural basketball, which I, I thought that was pretty, pretty brilliant. He shot 29% from just for the series, I think, and, and never got, never got it going. It, which is kind of, I kind of feel bad for him because he had such a fantastic season with the Knicks, you know, and one, one, um, most improved player, but he just could not get going against DeAndre Hunter. Yeah, I, and we'll get to Steve's medium hot, scalding hot Hawks takes in a second, but I do want to just close the book on Randall's season first. As you said, Steve, struggled seriously against the Hawks. The counting stats were okay, like 18 points, 12 boards, four assists per game, but he shot 29.8% from the field, 28 for 94. I think he may have connected with as many or more elbows to people's faces than he had steals and blocks combined because that number was three in five games. And I can remember at least three elbows. Raph does not look amused. Uh, but I do want to say an interesting contract situation and interesting maybe landscape for Randall moving forward. $19.8 million next year, but only $4 million guaranteed. Maybe he's going to get an extension from the Knicks this summer. I guess we'll throw it to you, Ryan. Like, did this series do anything for you in terms of changing how you think of Julius Randle and fantasy and or reality or don't want to put too much stock in it? Because it does feel like on kind of the biggest stage, his his stock may have taken a little bit of a hit. Yeah. So I don't put too much stock in this particular series for his fantasy outlook. I, mm-hmm. I think this season did wonders for his fantasy outlook. Obviously, his ADP will be, you know, multiple rounds higher than it was last year. That's not going to change. My question really is, was this potentially peak Randall? Is this is this as high as he gets with unlimited minutes under Thibodeau with the ball in his hands constantly? I mean, the Knicks offense just ran through Randall full stop uh, six times per game. His usage was hovering around 30%. And then we saw in the postseason, they didn't have another playmaker to take pressure off him. Barrett's not quite there yet. As Raph mentioned, they tried the Hail Mary Derrick Rose play. Wasn't enough, obviously. So I feel like the Knicks realize, okay, we need more playmakers around Randall. We need more diversity offensively. And 
maybe that takes the ball out of his hands a little bit, but I, I just feel like maybe this is as good as he's going to get. We didn't see defensive stats again this year, so that's a concern. If the triple-double numbers take even a little bit of a dip, where can he make up for that? Yeah, I don't. I think that when we talk about the impact that this performance on this stage may have had on him, yeah, keep in mind, it's the first time he's been on the stage. You know, for every Devin Booker who just absolutely shows out in their first playoff series. Or Trey Young. You're going to have other guys who struggle. So I think, I don't think there was much learned that we didn't understand before when it comes to the Knicks and potentially being a contender in time where those guys are going to need more help. Um, they've got some big decisions to make on some of the veterans who are around Julius and RJ. Like Ryan said, they're going to need some more playmakers too because you can't just have those two guys trying to make plays on their own, you know, set up other people because that's easily taken away in the playoffs where there really aren't any secrets. So I think Julius's fantasy value in terms of ADP, I agree with Ryan, it's going to go up in, in leading into the next season. You just wonder what that roster is going to look like around him and whether or not he's going to be able to live up to a higher, higher ADP for that reason. Well, and Randall was a total steal this year in fantasy. Yeah. Like he, he went, yeah. I don't know what his ADP was. It was probably around 70, I'm mm-hmm. guessing. So he was a steal in almost every, every draft he was taken in. At the end of the regular season, it looked like, you know, maybe we need to target this guy in round three or four next year. I kind of feel like this playoff series has knocked him back down, not not to 70, but somewhere in the middle of where, where I was thinking. Like, to me, the, the fifth round, maybe fourth, maybe sixth, sounds about right for Julius Randle, not seven or eight and not three or four. I do think one of you raised a good point, though. Maybe it's more than what happened in the playoff series. It's more what happens with the Knicks roster this offseason and what kind of additions they make. Because, Ryan, you know, you called it maybe it was peak Randall. If the Knicks are going to run it back with a similar roster, then there's no reason Randall can't crush again in the regular season. So it really does depend sure. on how much usage they add to that roster, I guess, to potentially siphon some of his away. So let's get into the Sixers-Hawks series that we've already referenced a little bit. The odds via our sportsbook partner, PointsBet, are Sixers minus 200 to win the series, Hawks plus 160. We got to start with Joel Embiid's injury. And and I was looking around on this in a story on The Athletic by Ethan Strauss, where he spoke to sports injury expert, Dr. Brian Sutterer. Sutterer? I don't know if I'm saying it right. The doctor said this, a meniscus injury offers a very big spectrum in terms of severity. An injury like a broken bone, it's very binary. You either have it or you don't. But a meniscus injury can be a lot of gray area. So it's very possible that they did an MRI and they found a tiny, tiny, tiny little meniscus tear. He went on to say it could be more significant than that. But my point is, Steve, uh, it's been pretty quiet on that front. I guess at this point, I wouldn't be shocked to see us get to Sunday and see something close to vintage Joel Embiid, but you're saying you don't even care. Uh, I care. I do care. <laughs> but I also don't I don't know that we're going to see vintage Joel Embiid. But we could. We could. But, you know, Anthony Davis tried to play last night, and we saw how that went. Um, I'm not saying that's what's going to happen with Embiid. And, and like you said, like that doctor said, this could go either way. He This could really bother him this whole series, or he, he could be vintage Joel Embiid. But even though it sounds like I don't care and I do care, I, I'm not that scared of this Sixers team because I think Clint Capella is a good matchup for Joel Embiid. I think uh, DeAndre Hunter is going to guard Tobias Harris, and that is a perfect matchup for the Hawks. 
You got John Collins, Bogey, and Trey out there. It'll be interesting to see who guards Ben Simmons and, and what Simmons is able to do in this series. But again, back to the Hawks bench. You've got Lou Williams, Kevin Herter, Danilo Gallinari. Uh, you got Solo as the enforcer coming in there, Solomon Hill. And Nkungwu, who actually put in some pretty good minutes against the Knicks. So the Hawks are deeper, the Hawks are healthier, and the Hawks are, are hotter, I think. Raph, I saw your eyes light up when Steve was talking earlier about he's not worried whether Joel Embiid is playing. He's not worried whether Joel Embiid isn't playing. So I want to hear what you have to say about this. What's your perspective well, on this one? I, I kind of agree with Steve in that Clint Capella can give him some some trouble, especially if he's not completely healthy, because with Capella, when he's running the floor, you have to account for him in terms of pick and roll game finisher. With all due respect to the Wizards bigs, you could kind of get away with not really doing that as often. You know, Capella's we talk about Daniel Gafford that way around here. Hey, I love Gafford. I think he made a huge difference for them when they acquired him. Um, then you got Captain Hook, who also played well, Robin Lopez. <laughs> if you ask me if I'm going to take those guys or Clint Capella, I'm taking Capella all day. So I think sure. this is going to be a tougher matchup for Embiid, even if he's healthy. You know, if, and if he's at less than 100%. I think they're going to just pick and roll him to death and make yeah. him chill that he can move laterally. And with Trey yeah. Young, that can be a, a dangerous situation from a basketball standpoint, much less a health standpoint. So I don't know if I'd go as far as to say that Atlanta will win the series, but I can definitely see a route for them doing it. By the way, my yeah. favorite line of this show so far is, with all due respect to the Washington big men, <laughs> Alex Lynn. <laughs> By the way, Robin Lopez, I know you want to jump in, Ryan. I just want to make respond to one thing Raph said real quick. I do think that's an interesting point that maybe where we see this be an issue for Embiid, most of all is on the defensive end and, and trying to guard those, those Trey Young, you know, drives into the paint. That could be where they can really exploit him potentially where on offense, we may not see it be as much of an issue because, you know, he can dictate where he goes on offense on defense. He's got to make quick, you know, decisions trying to move. Also, by the way, just closing the book on Robin Lopez for the summer Every time that guy caught the ball, I, I almost let out a chuckle. Just these like bizarre hook shots he shoots, you know, like with either hand, anywhere on the floor, Robin Lopez is basically throwing up a hook. It's incredible. So uh, shout out. Amazing stuff. Ryan, now please go ahead. Well, what's even better is every defender knows exactly what Robin Lopez is going to yeah. do, and they're trying so hard to play him against that, and he manages to get it. And we know that he and Brolo are both huge into Disney movies and and costumes and mascots and so forth. So if he doesn't dress as Captain Hook for next Halloween, I will be very disappointed. Um, but, I mean, you guys covered all the bases on Joel Embiid. There's nothing really more to say there. But if he is out, I mean, I think – as important as his offense to the Sixers is, I think defensively his absence will be felt even more keenly because where does the paint protection come from? Maybe they start Dwight Howard. They went a different route versus the Wizards uh, starting Matisse Thibel. But yeah, I just think that they're gonna, going to struggle massively to keep, you know, we saw the Knicks try to game plan to make Trey Young live in that middle range and he still torched them. So if they don't have a proper rim protector uh, and that final line of defense, they're going to have a nightmare. I mean, yeah. And, and the thing about rim protector against Trey Young is his floater doesn't really get blocked hardly ever. I mean, he gets in the paint and it's either whether it's whether he's making it or not, you know, that shot. So yeah, it's going to be fascinating. We haven't really talked about a lot about the Sixers supporting cast. Raph, what, what do you think comparing, you know, what the Hawks just faced with the Knicks to what they're going to face against the Sixers. 
I mean, it feels like we're looking at kind of a massive upgrade there, and the Hawks have a lot more to account for. Would you agree with that? I would. Um, I think Tobias Harris, I know DeAndre Hunter is a good matchup defensively for him, but I think Tobias is still going to get his. You know, Seth Curry, I don't expect him to score 30 points a night, but he's a more than capable shooter, as we've seen. Danny Green can knock down some perimeter shots. I think, if anything, what their bench gives them could determine, you know, how quick this series goes. If it goes seven or six, because you've got guys like Shake Milton who can come off the bench and give them good minutes. But Atlanta's bench is a lot better than what they just faced in Washington. So I think if Philly's bench can keep it close in terms of that points margin, I believe they'll win the series. But if if it ends up being some type of blowout in terms of bench points, then we're talking about Atlanta having a clear advantage and possibly winning the series. It makes me slightly queasy that the series could then come down to Danilo Gallinari, Gallinari and Kevin Herter and how they play because both guys have shown that they can be really good on any given night or kind of bad. And it was almost a two-man bench, Steve, at the end of that Hawks-Knicks series for the Hawks where Herter and Gallinari were absorbing almost all the bench minutes in Game 5 and you just had Solomon Hill and Kongwu taking just a little bit. Yeah, but I mean... Maybe Nate McMillan's learning that you got to play your you got to play your studs if you want to if you want to beat people, and I'm fine with the fewer minutes the Hawks bench plays, the, the better off the Hawks are, I think. But it's nice to know that you've got those guys over there if you need them. And like you said, Herder can come in and get hot and change a game. Gallinari can get hot and change a game. And the Hawks in general, I mean, if the Hawks were knocking down three-pointers like they normally do in that series, it would have been over a lot faster than it, than it was. And and some of the, the times the games uh, were close, they wouldn't have been because the Hawks, the Hawks were not really shooting the three all that well uh, throughout that series. Yeah, they shot nine for 34 in that last game, so it's interesting that they were kind of able to win ugly because that was not what we imagine the Hawks' blueprint being coming into this season. We never really pictured the Hawks winning ugly. They were a team that was going to outscore you. So that's maybe a knock against the Knicks' offense. But either way, this Hawks' D, I think, has improved a bit. So going to be a fascinating series. We both uh, we, we did a video preview recently on NBC Sports Edge. I think we actually all may have picked the Hawks, the three of us. So, Raph, I think we got to get your pick. Maybe we need to balance this out. I'm not going to tell you who to pick. So make your pick. I shouldn't have influenced you, but that's how it goes on the TV broadcast, right? You see the graphics where who picked who. So do, do what you're going to do. Yeah, I'm going to take Philadelphia in seven. Okay. Um, okay. I, I just think Tobias Harris is going to end up being the difference maker here. I expect Embiid back at some point. How effective he'll be, I don't know. But I just think Tobias Harris has far more dimensions to his game than Julius Randle did. So this is going to be a much tougher matchup for DeAndre Hunter and whoever else they use there. Mm -hmm. I think he's going to be the reason why the 76ers pull this one out. You know how when you're watching a broadcast and it's like everyone picks your team to win and you're like, oh, no, this is this is not good. So I, I feel better just either way. I feel like I'm glad that our panel has a little bit of a little bit of differentiation after that pick. So. Thank you for that one. Uh, next up, we have the Nets and the Bucks in the other Eastern Conference semifinal. Uh, just in terms of the betting odds on this one, via points bet, Nets are minus 233 to win the series. Bucks are plus 185. The Bucks took two out of three during the regular season, but the Nets' big three was not intact for any of those as they only played, what have they played, 14, 14-ish games together total so far, including playoffs. Raph, what are your big picture impressions on this series? What are you looking for? 
I think the winner of this series is going to win the championship. I just think the talent levels of both of these teams are such that whoever makes it out of here, as long as they stay healthy, I think they're just—they're not going to coast to the title. But I don't think either one's going to see a bigger challenge than what they face here. I'm looking forward to that. What I'm not looking forward to is the game-by-game referendum on everyone's legacies that is obviously <laughs> coming with this series. And it's that part is going to be brutal. But I think the talent on the court, and like you mentioned, the big three for Brooklyn only been on the court together for 14 games. So you can't really put too much stock into what we saw in those regular season meetings. And for that reason, I lean Brooklyn in seven. But I think it's going to be a great series. Yeah, as, I, yeah. as I've been saying, and we, and we talked about it on the preview show uh, that we, we did yesterday, the Nets' big three are, are simply better than the Bucks' solid three. And yeah. it's tough that the Bucks and, and Nets have to face, face each other so early in the playoffs because it's, it's going to be a great matchup, like Rob said. And, you know, Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday has been a difference maker uh, all season for the Bucks. He's the, he's the reason that I think they've got a, a real shot in this series. But I just don't see a scenario where Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving lose if they're all healthy. I just think their they're three is more solid than the Bucks' big three. Yeah, it's a strange situation because, you know, as has been mentioned, the, the Nets' big three haven't been together that long, so there's this small sample size factor going on. To me, it just comes down to superior talent, especially at the top. Usually the, you know, cream rises to the top, especially in the postseason, and the Nets just have that trio of superstars. There's there's really no way around that. And to me, the Bucks are going to have to live in the paint and at the three-point arc. The Nets did give up. Uh, 16 points per game on second chance opportunities versus Boston in the first round. They gave up the second most second chance points during the entire regular season. So Milwaukee's going to have to make hay in that department. They averaged over 15 offensive rebounds versus the Heat during their first round sweep. So that's going to be key. Can Brooklyn and, you know, the Nets aren't going to be starting the most imposing front court. So, you know, the Bucks are going to have to make them pay in that area. And then also the Bucks are going to have to shoot better from deep. They were 32% uh, in the first round on f- over 40 attempts. Wow. They're going to have to knock down more of those. We've They've shown that they can. They were 38% from deep during the regular season. And the Nets, you know, not the best defensive team to put it, put it mildly. So the Bucks have some areas they can exploit uh, with their own offense. But I just don't see anyone slowing down the Nets juggernaut uh, offense. That's crazy, that number that you referenced there, their three-point shooting, especially since it felt like Bryn Forbes was absolutely making everything in that first round. So that's with one guy having a couple of games where I think he hit six plus threes at least. Uh, they shot that poorly. Yeah, he went off. To me, I mean, I kind of echo what you guys say. And first of all, it is it is ridiculously brutal if you're a Nets or a Bucks fan that you now have to endure this in the Eastern Conference semis. Like, this, this, is, this is just unfair to both, any diehard fans of both teams. But... I just look at beyond the big three, just Kevin Durant is is somehow playing at near peak levels right now. First round against the Bucks, I'm just going to cite his numbers to you guys. 32.6 points, 7.4 boards, three assists, 1.4 steals, 2.2 blocks, 2.8 threes, shot 54.6 from the field and 91.5 from the line. That is just peak top level Kevin Durant at age 32. He's looking like his vintage self and how... How are you supposed to to beat this team in the playoffs when 
you know, if for some reason Durant's out of the game or or just goes cold for a second, which he basically doesn't do, send it over Kyrie Irving's way or James Harden's way. It's just <laughs> it's not fair. It's unfair. It's flat out unfair when they're all healthy. Borderline. I still think the Bucks can do it, but man, it's it's a tough challenge. Yeah, and unfair I, is is a interesting word because when when they put this big three together, and every time you know any big three has been put together you know, the rest of the league and half the fans out there are like, this is not fair. Like, why are these superstars all joining forces together? Why aren't they trying to beat each other? Like, this is this is not the way it's supposed to be. Uh, this is not the way Michael Jordan and Larry Bird did it, yada, yada, yada. So it is it is sort of unfair that, that the Nets are this good, but it is what it is, and they're allowed to do it. And People in Brooklyn are fired up, and I would be too if I was a Nets fan. I'd be like, "Give me, give me the three best players in the league, and let me, let me go do this." And also, I think something that I haven't heard very many people talking about, which I think is really crucial to the Nets situation, is the fact that Kyrie Irving kind of handed the keys to James Harden and said, "Look, you run the point. I'll do whatever I need to do." I think that's pretty, uh, pretty mature move and and a pretty clutch move um, because. You know, juggling egos and managing these personalities is is not easy to do uh, when you're looking at the amount of money that's involved in everything else. So, you know, it looks like everybody is on the same page in Brooklyn. And as long as they are getting along and everybody likes each other and everybody's playing together, I mean, who's going to stop them? The flip side of that is interesting too, Steve, because you mentioned Kyrie kind of saying, hey, James, here's the ball, go make plays. Well, he's also seeded a ton of his own offensive usage and scoring uh, with Kyrie and KD off the court, at least during the regular season. His usage was cut in half and his scoring nearly in half, down from 30 plus to uh, per, per 36 minutes to somewhere uh, in the high teens. So just huge sacrifices. And I'm with you if they're, because that was the big concern, right? Chemistry issues. Hey, there's only one ball. How are all three of these guys going to get theirs? And yet here they are managing to do it. So that's another reason why I feel very comfortable with, it's not just this awkward misaligned fit where you're trying to jam all this talent on the court. They look like a cohesive trio. Yeah. I mean, along those lines, you could argue that Kevin Durant is sacrificing offense while averaging 33 points per game in the first round. I think he only shot it around 20 times per game in that series, which when you're shooting it as well, Raph, as he is and efficiently, like you can make a case for 25 plus shots a game for that guy. You can argue anytime that guy's on the floor when someone else shoots, it's a wasted shot, basically. <laughs> yeah, you definitely can. But I think it shows you know, why he's one of the greatest offensive weapons this game has ever seen. For him to be able to, to put up those numbers with that level of efficiency, it, it's not common, you know, so... For him to do that, you know, Kyrie has been really good, as, as Ryan mentioned, his, his willingness. I think Steve mentioned it, actually, his willingness to hand over the keys to James and say, you run the show, you know, I'll get mine somehow. And, and they've managed to do it. And I think when you have that type of mindset amongst your best players, that can help, you know, address the, the on-court chemistry concerns in terms of playing together, only having the 14 games together in, for this season. So... I think my one question about Brooklyn, will there be a point where they have to put DeAndre Jordan back in the rotation just because of the rebounding issues that, that we saw Miami have with Milwaukee? They may need to call on him, even though they wanted to phase him out of the rotation. They kind of mm -hmm. they kind of have done that. You've got Nicholas Claxton and you've got uh, Blake Griffin, but with no Jeff Green for the foreseeable future, 
that may be a bit of a concern to where Jordan may have to play a little bit, at least early in the series. And if they can get Green back, then you can kind of, you know, phase him back out of the rotation. That's another thing about the Nets. They've got three, even though in my mind, Blake Griffin is not a center, but they've got three capable centers uh, that they can turn to while the net, uh, while the the Bucks have Brooke Lopez, who's going to be standing out there at the arc, firing up threes uh, like my man, Chris Stapps Porzingis, but they pick up Blake Griffin, dust him off, throw him out there. And he's looked great for them in the playoffs too. So he's, he's just another weapon um, for them. And then Nick Claxton and Deandre Jordan, you know what, you know, if the Nets are in trouble, they're they're getting beat on the boards, and you put those guys out there. And if if not, you you leave things the way they are. So that it's just another luxury that the best team has those guys at their disposal. Steve, I thought you were a big Bobby Portis guy. How are you just going to leave him out of this conversation like that? Well, we weren't really talking about the Bucks much, but I do like Portis, and I I do think Portis um, could be a difference maker in the series if if Brolo's not getting it done on the inside. But again, the Nets bench is better than the better than the Bucks bench. So it well, so it sounds like congratulations, Bucks fans. If I'm reading the room correctly, we all are picking the Nets to win this series. Do I have that right? I've got Nets in six. Raf? Yeah. yeah. I'm Nets in seven. And I'm I'm the most bullish of the bunch, I think, with the Nets in five. Wow. So there you have it. Bucks win this thing in six. As we fast forward, fast forward about <laughs> 10 days from now, it's over. And we all are trying to figure out where we went wrong. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Let's head west. The Nuggets and the Suns both advanced to the conference semifinals on Thursday evening. Suns knocked out the Lakers. The Nuggets took down the Blazers. So before we go into the Nuggets and the Suns series, I want to quickly talk Portland. Damian Lillard averaged 34 points per game, 10 assists, and six threes in that first-round playoff exit. I think we would all agree he's a no-doubt fantasy first-round pick, despite the fact that he'll play next year at age 31. Not a lot of question... I don't think about him or C.J. McCollum, really, when it comes to fantasy. I do think Yusuf Nurkic becomes maybe an interesting fantasy question mark, though. His salary for next year was only $4 million guaranteed. I believe Portland has just guaranteed that, Jason Quick of The Athletic Reports. And in terms of fantasy, Nurkic was actually a huge letdown this year. Almost the inverse situation with what happened with Julius Randle. Nurkic was had a ADP of 36 on Yahoo, was outside the top 100 in nine category leagues. Ryan, do you 
have faith in a Nurkic bounce back next season, just projecting ahead? No, not necessarily. Just because I, I, mean, I don't think it was fair to put that type of ADP expectation on him necessarily, a guy coming mm-hmm. off a uh, ma- major injury and so forth. But with the free throw percentage, I mean, we know, I think most of us come at fantasy from eight cat nine cat perspective as our default and he has just the glaring free throw percentage problem uh he'll turn the ball over some holes in his fantasy game that i don't know give me pause to spend a top 50 pick on him especially when he hasn't been able to stay healthy and we saw him muddle through another 37 game season this year so that's that's the huge injury for me i mean if he was completely healthy and we knew that going in Maybe it's a different story and I'm willing to roll the dice. But unless I'm building my team in the early rounds with a punt free throw build, then I'm not going to approach him in the top 50 given the injury history. Yeah, I I like I I actually love Nurk Alert. Um, it's one of my favorite things to write and say. And I love I like Nurkic a lot. In the regular season, it seemed like him and Ennis Cantor, you know, when Nurkic was playing, Cantor was always there to sort of buzzkill what Nurkic was doing and Nurk may be one of those guys that's built for the postseason and, and may not be as much of a regular season stud, but we also have to see what happens with Portland this summer because something's got to give, something's got to change. They've maxed out. Like they're, they can't get out of the first round of the playoffs. Something big has got to change in Portland. And I don't know what that is. And I don't know what that means for Nurkic, but uh, I'm certainly not going. I I got burned on one of those, uh, you know, number drafting him at number 38 deals by Nurkic this year, and I will not be going down that road again. Yeah, I'd have him within the top 100, but not too far in that. I, I thought that mid 30s was a bit high, given the, the leg injury that he was coming back from. Obviously, he played in the bubble, but you know, a quick turnaround from that. I still have my doubts, and obviously, I think he broke his wrist. Um, during this season. So the end the medical history is a concern there when you're talking fantasy. And then also you've got Ennis Cantor, who at times is, I liken him a little bit to a Nerlens Noel, where he was giving you fantasy value off the bench when you really didn't expect it. So I think when you have both of those guys, and we all seem to figure out what's going to happen with Zach Collins, um, you speak about injuries, like the guy hasn't been able to stay healthy the last two or three years. So yeah, who knows what's going to happen there? Like Steve mentioned, this is a point where something probably will have to give in Portland because they tried to make additions to improve that defense, and they still couldn't guard a chair. So mm. it makes you wonder, is it the personnel? Is it the scheme? What is it? There's going to be a lot of soul searching up there. I think Dan might be the only one who is truly safe in terms of them not moving moving on from but besides him like you know the question is what are they going to do because it doesn't do you much good to be in in the sense of like nba purgatory where you're not a contender but you're not an also ran you're gonna have to swing for the fences at some point yeah i think the nurkic thing is just a reminder about sample size as well because i think part of what sent or maybe entirely what sent his adp soaring was that some of those massive games he had in the bubble right when he came back from that from that leg injury and he looked incredible and i think we saw that it was a bit under a microscope and everyone was like wow so and i think i, I kind of connected back to what we were saying earlier about julius randall a rough playoff series but potentially doesn't mean anything for his fantasy value next year the more i think about it it's more what does next roster look like go ahead ryan i think you're about to jump in 
No, I, I forget what I was going to say, but um, you, you're right. And in terms of this playoff series, I mean, Nurk just couldn't stay on the court. He was he fouled out of what three of the games, I think. And then in that decisive final game, he picked up four fouls in the third quarter yeah. alone. Had to get pulled toward late, and yet again, kind of changed the momentum and the feel of that game. Uh, so just another kind of flaw to his game. But yeah, I'm, I think we all agree that top 40 is is clearly asking too much of Nurkler, even though he can do it for short stretches, uh, needs to say stay healthy. And I'd be shocked. I mean, we don't know if Ennis Cantor is returning next year. There's going, going to be turnover. I'm completely with Raph. Like something has to give. Uh, I think the first head to roll will probably be coach Terry Stotts. I think yeah. his, his run in Portland is over. The Blazers defensive rating was, I think, almost bottom of the league last year. It was close to that this year. They improved a little bit after the break, but not enough to save his job with another first-round exit. While while we're saying goodbye to Portland, I would like to celebrate right now being the last time that I'm going to have to say the words the word Rocco again this season. Robert Covington, <laughs> season is over. We don't need to talk about him anymore. I'm not drafting him next year. But he went out with a bang, 11 points, 10 boards, three steals, a block, and a three-pointer, exactly what uh, everyone who drafted Robert Covington was hoping for and did not get very often. I'm going to end up with Rocco in like eight different leagues next year, I think, because I just feel like he is going to be sitting there. People have such a bad taste in their mouth from what he did this season. I just feel like it's going to become an incredible value at some point in fantasy drafts to take him, I think. Oh, and he had three three-pointers last night, not not just one. So, yeah, he was no. – yeah, good luck with that, Matt. If he, <laughs> if he's there at like 80, 90, I'll take him every time before Absolutely. his late career P.J. Tucker phase kicks in and, and he's <laughs> completely useless. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, let's go ahead and preview this Suns and Nuggets series. Points bet has the Suns at minus 180 to win this, the Nuggets at plus 150. Now, the Nuggets won two out of three this season, but these teams actually last met in January, if I'm looking at things correctly. I, I, there's a ton of angles to come at this series from. I actually think it's it should be a fantastic series. Raph, what are you looking at? What are you looking for in this one? Any matchup or any player or any any angle in particular that stands out to you? I think it's going to be DeAndre Ayton and Nikola Jokic. Right? I don't expect Ayton to break even with Jokic. That's like a near impossible task, given what Jokic brings to the table. But <laughs> sure. Ayton proved to be far more impactful against the Lakers than I think a lot of people expected going in. He basically played Andre Drummond off the court. I mean, we didn't see him at all last night. They had to go back to Marcus Gasol, and they didn't want to play Marcus Gasol. That should tell you how bad things were for the Lakers and how good they were for DeAndre Ayton. He was extremely efficient. You know, he's a 15 feet and end guy, and he seems to know that at this point. Um, did a very good job. I thought the production defensively wasn't great, but he gets you rebounds, um, and he's a better positional defender than he is a shot blocker. So. I think him being able to stay on the court in this series is going to be essential because if you're Phoenix and you have to rely on either Frank Kaminsky or Dario Saric for extended minutes, you're in trouble, you know, even with the guard play that they have. So I think what Aiton can do against Jokic may be the determining factor in this series. Aiton was awesome in those first in every game except the last one against the Lakers. But let's keep in mind he was playing against the Lakers team that doesn't really even have a center. Um, we saw, we know what DeAndre Ayton does throughout 
you know, we learned that from the regular season. He, he was playing out of his mind in these playoffs, but kind of fell back to earth in the clinching game for the Suns. He had eight points, three boards, and one, assi- one assist. Also looked like he hurt his shoulder during the game. And I think Jokic is going to run circles around DeAndre Ayton. I think uh, Jokic is licking his chops right now. And I think the, the Suns are going to get a big wake-up call going from playing uh, a one-man Lakers team to to this Nuggets team that seems to be firing on all cylinders right now. Steve, with the harsh take on Andre Drummond referring to the Lakers as a team that doesn't really have a center, <laughs> but I don't blame you after watching that last series. I mean, he he was terrible, and obviously his value around the league, Drummond that is, has, has cratered. No one even wanted to trade for him. Uh, who knows what he's going to find in free agency. Yeah, but I'm with you guys. I mean, I literally had written DeAndre Ayton's defense will be key to the series. I think it's it's key. Unlike Nurkic, he manages to stay out of foul trouble. Uh, per 36 minutes, Nurk was 44th in fouls this season. Ayton was 124th. So hopefully he'll be able to stay on and and uh, match Jokic's minutes as closely as possible. Now, he's a better defender, maybe, Steve, than you're giving him credit for. I thought he had a really big growth this year. Someone mentioned that he's a better kind of team schematic player than he is straight up uh shot blocker rim protector and that's true but his you know he's a very good team defender not that Jokic won't still run circles around him he will anyone they put out there uh but i i think he'll make it tough on him as tough as it can get uh and i'll beat steve to the punch and say that i'm excited to see facundo Campazzo uh chasing around and pestering a potentially still hurting chris paul you know once again, I think the health of Paul's shoulder will go a long way to determining this series, but uh, he looks good so far, right? I mean, that that aggravation that we saw didn't seem to bother him last night, and it uh, looks like he's good to go for game one as far as I've heard. Yeah, he had 12 dimes in that closeout game, shot just four of 12, I think, and just 38.6% in the series. So I don't know, is he fully back to 100% yet, but certainly looking better than it was when it was looking really dire early on for that shoulder. As for Jokic... In that first round, he passed a bit less, but scored more. 33 points per game, 10.5 boards, 4.5 dimes, shot 53%. So kind of changed his blueprint a little bit based on, I guess, what Portland was doing against him. But it's interesting that you mentioned Campazzo, Ryan, because it feels a little bit like even before him, we got to mention Monte Morris and Austin Rivers, where we were worried about Denver's depth there uh, without Jamal Murray. Monte Morris was great in those last two games, 28 and 22 points, ended up averaging 15 points, six assists in a series. Rivers was hit or miss, just had a, only had two double-digit games in that series, but he had a lot of big threes and shot 48.4% from distance. Raph, does this Monte Morris-Austin Rivers thing feel like sustainable, like it could carry over to the next round for you? I think it can, and I think we're going to end up asking the same question about Cameron Payne for Phoenix. Both teams have guards who you really didn't expect to step forward that played well in their first mm-hmm. round series. I think for Denver, they could get Will Barton back at some point. We'll see. But hamstring injuries can be tricky. That being said, I think what Denver's guards, especially Monte Moore, showed in the first round, I think they can sustain that. Um, like you mentioned about Campazzo, he's like the ultimate pest. We're going to have at least one double technical between he and Chris Paul in this series. <laughs> Maybe he gets under Devin Booker's skin, too, at some point. But I think Denver has the potential, you know, to – I don't know if I'd say match what Phoenix's starting backcourt will bring, but 
I don't think they're going to get blown out of the water either. At this point, I think they've done enough to earn that type of trust. How crazy was it last night when Michael Porter Jr. hit six three-pointers yeah. uh, in the first quarter, <laughs> scored 22 points, and then and that was set an NBA record. And then Devin Booker turned around and did the exact same thing later on, and those two were going to be playing each other in the series, which that was pretty wild that Michael Porter's six threes in the first quarter record lasted for about an hour and a half. I, you know, another factor of this series I want to talk about is Aaron Gordon, who was pretty good for Denver, mainly in terms of knocking down threes. He made 60% of his threes, and you combine that with Austin Rivers making 48%. It gives me a little bit of pause on Denver, but strangely, I still think I like Denver to win this series. I don't know why. I'm a little terrified that I'm underestimating uh, underestimating Phoenix a bit, especially if Devin Booker is going to go superstar mode like he did on Thursday with 47 points, 11 boards, and eight threes in that closeout game. But overall, I've just been impressed with what Denver's done. And those additional pieces and potentially getting Will Barton back makes me think that Denver will take this. You know what Aaron Gordon is? Serviceable? He's he's serviceable and he's intriguing. (laughs) It's true. It's true. Who are, Steve, I assume you're not going to pick against your Denver Nuggets at this point. Well, I'm the only one of us who took Denver in well, the first series, right? Look, we, don't have to, we don't have to go into that too much. But yes, I think that is true. And I, I, several people, several very famous people who talk on television a lot, when Jamal Murray got hurt, were screaming, the Nuggets are dead. The Nuggets have no chance. This is over. I would like to hear what they have to say now because when I look at this matchup, I don't see the Nuggets losing this series. It could go five games. I'm going to take the Nuggets in six. Uh, I think that DeAndre Ayton is a – I mean, he's a better player in real life than he is in fantasy, but he played out of his mind in the series. He's not as good as what we saw in those first five games against the Lakers. And I I just – he's a good defender, but there is no defense for Jokic and – if Michael Porter Jr. is on, he's going to offset everything that Devin Booker does. And and as far as Chris Paul's shoulder injury, you guys kind of kind of iced over that and and made it sound like he's good to go. There's no worries anymore. I mean, he's still every time he gets hit, he's holding his shoulder. Yeah, I didn't do that. I'm still not convinced. It's still clearly bothering him. I don't think it'll take much for him to take another shot in the back and and roll around on the floor for ten minutes and, and go to the locker room. Um, <laughs> His shoulder's not healthy, and that's that's a key issue to this series, too. So we have two Nuggets two nuggets picks. Ryan, go ahead. I got Nuggets in six. Right. Yeah, I, I didn't mean to downplay CP3's shoulder, although I'm glad you, you mentioned that again because that could prove to be decisive. Uh, I'm just going to say that So the, the Nuggets did surprise me and obviously make it out of the first round. I didn't expect them to uh, without – Jamal Murray and then without Will Barton I was just afraid they wouldn't have enough playmaking kudos to all the guys we mentioned who stepped up I'm a little skeptical that they can continue to do so against a much better defense Phoenix was fourth in defensive rating in the regular season this year or sixth I believe Uh, the Blazers were 29th so I mean it's it's night and day the Blazers were also 26th in three-point defense the Suns were fourth so just huge swings i don't expect you know you mentioned those guys who are red hot for denver from from downtown mm-hmm. they're going to get tougher looks i you know this is a series where Jokic could still go bananas and average a triple double and yet denver doesn't win if the, if those others aren't as engaged and as efficient as they were in the first round versus the blazers which 
wasn't a landslide by any means. I mean, a couple games could have gone either way. So I feel like, yeah, I'm going to give the edge to the Suns, assuming Chris Paul's shoulder stays attached, uh, and take Phoenix in six. I'm going Phoenix in seven um, because we didn't mention this guy's name yet, but Mikhail Bridges. I think he's going to be the one who's going to be guarding Michael Porter Jr. for most of this series. And that there's a huge difference between having him on you and the guys that Portland was bringing to the table. Norman Powell is a solid defender, but I'm taking Bridges every day of the week if you ask me which one of those two I'd want defensively. So I think that's going to be the difference there. Um, Porter's going to have his moments for sure. I think he's growing into a star and maybe one day a superstar right before our very eyes right now. But I think Mikael Bridges is going to give him a, a, a bit of a headache in this series. They've got Jay Crowder who can give you some timely three-point shooting as well as some defense as well. I like Phoenix in six. I'm with Ryan on that. All right, so it sounds like we have a 2-2 on this one. And I, I have to say, I'm fully aware that I may be getting on the Nuggets bandwagon one round too late after picking against them in the first round. Then I, I might be one round too late. I probably am underestimating Phoenix a little bit. I feel like they're a little bit of a good team that lulls you to sleep. You know what I mean? Okay, yeah. cool. Uh, <laughs> uh, finally, the one first round. Everyone was nodding. If you're listening to the audio version, there were nods. The one first round series still going. Game six of the Mavs and the Clippers. Dallas leads at 3-2. Have a chance to close it out at home on Friday night. And Ryan, I have to start by saying, I don't know if you remember, Ty Lue said something after the Mavs won two in LA along the lines of, well... They shot well on the road, but now they have to do it at home. And we were like, wait, yeah. what? What was he talking about? And now I'm thinking maybe he was on to something. No one has won at home in this series. <laughs> so Ty Lue just absolutely with a genius call there, whether he meant to or not. That's right. Uh, like, I mean, hey, he's the head coach for a reason. And we're, <laughs> you know, we're just pundits making fun of him. Um, yeah, yeah. That was a very good call at his part. Okay, so... Luka Doncic scored 19 points in the first quarter of Game 5, finished with 42 points, 8 rebounds, 14 assists. So much for the neck issue, Steve. As the resident um, Mavs fan, I guess is just what we call you now, what are you looking for in Game 6? Can you evaluate this one rationally? Like, who do you have winning this one? Oh, Dallas is going to win. Easily. Okay. Okay. I mean, they're at home. The home team always wins, right? <laughs> no, I, I think, I think Luka was really not feeling well in game four and probably for half a game three with his neck cervical issue. Clearly he felt better in the game five that, that the Mavericks Mavericks actually fought down to the, to the wire to get that win. They're one of the worst teams I've ever watched trying to close out a game. That was scary for the last three years, but they were, they were able to do it. And that was a big deal. Now they're coming home. I think the fans are going to be in a frenzy tonight. I think, Luke is going to have his teammates worked into a, a bit of a frenzy as well. Like, hey, we got to finish this tonight because if we go back to, to L.A. for game seven, we might be done. So I, I think it's going to have that now or never type of mentality to it. And I, and I just think the home team has to win at some point. And I think Luca's health has a lot to do with it. He's had another couple of days to chill and rest. And I, I just expect Dallas to come out and close this thing out. Raph, you called out the Clippers a little bit last week when we were here. I thought their defense 
in game five looked some combo of disinterested and helpless against Luca. What were your impressions of that game from them? And do you think they can bounce back in game six? I, I think they can bounce back. If you recall, in addition to calling them out, I did say that I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if they got back into the series, which they did. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. They can't guard Luca. You know, I think that's painfully obvious. You know, the, the key for them is making sure that other guys don't go off. That's what happened in the first two games in L.A. I think Tim Hardaway Jr. was outstanding in those games. And then he went ice cold and they got back home. Um, so I think at some point the home team is – obviously for Dallas's sake, the home team – well, for the Clippers' sake, I should say, the home team is going to have to win at some point, whether it's tonight or if it's Sunday night. I think we're going seven. I just look at Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, and I, I have a hard time believing that they're going to go out with a whimper. Kawhi has been very difficult for Dallas to deal with. You know, Paul George had his moments as well. But I think those guys are going to be able to muster up enough Friday night to win that game. What happened Sunday, game seven, Even I know the home team has a decided advantage based on the stats, but this series looks like the ultimate toss-up, which is kind of what you'd expect from a four versus five. I just don't think the Clippers expected it based on their little gamesmanship at the end of the regular season. But, you know, I think we're going seven. Don't ask me who's going to win on Sunday, though. I'm I'm with you. I think we're going seven, but this is one I will be on the sidelines for as a better. Uh, just just happy to watch the game as a fan. Uh, it's it's going to be something else. There's definitely that human nature aspect of like, like you guys have said, like, surely the home team will win and we're like, oh, to win. Um, but maybe, maybe not tonight. And Matt, I don't know if you, if you dug into the Luca defense, do you, are you going to talk yeah. on that? Yeah, I'll just quickly mention it. So, and Ryan, you actually pulled up this page and sent it to me, but via NBA.com, just a breakdown of Luca's stats based on who has guarded him. And the three guys who have guarded him the most are Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, and Nicholas Batum. And what stands out to me, Ryan, and I'll let you comment on this if you want to, is he's shooting 30% against Kawhi Leonard. 27% on threes. He's shooting 31% against Batum, and he's shooting nearly 53% against Paul George. I don't know if the Clippers have taken note of this one, but you may want to ask Paul to uh, to go to the wing and guard someone else and uh, stay away from Doncic's general vicinity there. is that Was that your takeaway, Ryan? Yeah, basically. And in watching, you know, the NBA.com, you know, I rewatched all of his shots from game five, and he's just absolutely torturing the Clippers in that high screen action where he can either force the switch or just, uh, you know, if a defender tries to go above the screen, he's, he's driving right through it. Uh, if they try to go under, forget it. And he can dance back and get that separation he needs. He, I mean, he has their number. So that's why it's tough. You look at it and say, well, why don't they just have Batum or Kawhi guard him in every, every possession? Well, right. most of the time they're trying, but either they get those cross matches in transition sure. or he uses the screens and forces a mismatch. So, I mean, he's he has them running in circles with that high screen action. So that's something I'm going to be keeping a close eye on. Yeah, also, I mean, some of the, the degree of difficulty on some of those step backs, I mean, credit for making the shots, but it's not like those are going to fall every game. Some of those were just absurd that he was hitting. He had everything working in that game five, especially in terms of his jump shot. Yeah, they may, they may want to foul him more at this point, given that he can't make his free throws. <laughs> Hakaluka. 
Hakaluka. He, he just took the words right out of my mouth. And Steve, Steve, I'm I'm surprised, and maybe I'm blowing the the reveal, but I thought maybe you you were layering your uh, Hawks jersey with a with a Mavs Luca shirt under it, and we're gonna go for the the double jersey. Oh, move. the reveal! Wow, that would have been amazing. <laughs> that was like a uh, Michael Stipe, the lead singer of REM, like back in the '80s. He got up on stage to win. They won a bunch of awards in 91 or whatever. And he just kept peeling shirts off that had all these, <laughs> all these political messages on them. I, I think I'm just going to stick with the, the Trey shirt for right now. Broadway Trey. Raph, quick closing comment from you. What are your thoughts on, is there any prayer of, you said they can't guard Luca. Is there anything they can do differently? I think if anything, you're just going to need to be more intent on, on blitzing, you know, those ball screens, you know, Stick with the double team because you see, like Ryan mentioned, far too often they'll just kind of switch. The second guy will hang around for a second, but then mm-hmm. he goes off. I think you want to stay there until Luke gives up the ball. You'll be playing four on three, but at this point, I'd rather do that and let Luca keep the ball in his hands and possibly take advantage of a switch. All right, well, looking forward to seeing how that plays out. That is going to do it for us. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen. Take a second to rate and review us as well, if you would. We are back on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday next week as we get fully into the conference semifinals, and we're live on YouTube at noon each of those days. Thanks to everyone who's watching live with us or listening on the podcast. Ryan, Raph, Steve, thanks to all of you guys. Enjoy the weekend and enjoy the games this weekend. Thank you. See you guys. Bye, guys. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.